I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What I think did start my overall dark evolution was when I witnessed someone being shot for the first time. Gang culture was always there ready to kind of like ensnare us. I never had enough clout to join the existing gangs and my first response was if I can't join when I create my own. A friend of mine's dad was murdered over a PlayStation game. I was like, I don't want my dad to die. You know, my, my brother's being mugged repeatedly. I'm like, I don't want him to be mugged anymore. I had initial kind of like thoughts of leaving this behind. It became apparent to me that what we were doing actually wasn't winning. So I was like, all right, cool. I've got these ideas of initiatives that can move things along for my community. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to have to pitch this to them. And eventually, like, it began to build some traction. What would you say to someone's parents who was in that situation at that time, that kind of turning point that you had? Words would genuinely fail me. This is systemic. Welcome back to Working Hard, Hardly Working. I cannot tell you the journey you are about to go on with this podcast episode. I mean, it was unbelievable. The story of Carl's life and career, I've heard it before and I will never get used to it. And I think that the most important thing here is, particularly growing up in London, this is not unusual, the kind of way it started and the reason for him having gotten into the things he was in. I can't wait for you to listen to this story because not only do I think that it really clearly paints out the issues that mean people often have no other choice than turning to the types of violence and gang culture that Kyle was involved in, but also we go on to talk about being a black founder and the shocking statistics around investment into black founders. 0.24%. It is unbelievably bad. And what Carl's doing at the moment, he started after moving on from his previous life, I guess, leading the gang. He started by starting a rehabilitation centre for people who wanted to move out of that himself and leading that and raising money to make that happen and essentially being an entrepreneur in that way. And now he is running Black Seed, which is a black VC, which exists solely to help black founders. I think what we don't think about a lot is, yes, a lack of investment is one thing. But if you think of the same amount of investment going into two different things, if one of those is a white person who went to private school and was educated at Oxbridge or whatever it might be, the network that they're going to have access to is going to be completely different to that of you know, someone from Carl's background or even something less extreme in terms of like the the gang culture, but in terms of all of these other areas of privilege that people kind of have access to. So even then, the issue is not just about the money put into businesses. It's so much more ingrained than that. I mean, I'm not going to say much more because you just need to listen to this episode. It is mind blowing. And I learned so much and I am so grateful for Carl for coming on and telling his story and I just hope that people can listen to this and learn more particularly about those two areas and I mean enjoy the episode it's a journey and I personally learned so much but as always I hope you enjoy the episode and have a great day. Carl Loco is an ex-gang leader turned activist campaigner influencer and entrepreneur. Growing up on a tough estate swarming with gangs Carl's childhood was far from plain sailing, witnessing his first shooting when just 12 years old and before the age of 16, Carl had already been shot at, stabbed in the chest and had watched one of his best friends get killed in front of him. Within four years, Carl found himself behind the trigger, eventually becoming the ringleader of his own notorious gang. After several years of this life, Pastor Mimi Asher, the mother of a fellow gang member, showed him a way out. Thanks to Mimi's courageous counselling and mentorship, Carl was able to gain perspective, zoom out of his situation and convert a life of crime into one of success, innovation and admiration. Since then, Carl has dedicated his life and career to helping others do the same, becoming an inspiring role model for people trapped in the cycle. 
Carl also leads the vision for Black Seed, a community and seed fund exclusively supporting black-led startups, with an embarrassing 0.24% of venture funding reaching black founders. Carl is leading the Black Seed team to tackle the systemic racial disparities in investment. Their vision is to find the next black unicorn and to help black founders create communities and networks that will help them thrive. Today's episode will completely blow your mind. As Carl describes it, his story is like watching a caterpillar become a butterfly, a complete and utter transformation of his life into something truly unrecognisable. So we're just going to go straight into it. I want to start from the very beginning. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about your childhood? I mean, I grew up not too far from here, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Brixton. Mm -hmm. I always describe my childhood as quite idyllic Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, inside the house, you know, so... Mother was very present, mm-hmm. father was very present, mm-hmm. and I mean emotionally and energetically. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the demands of 16-hour shifts mm-hmm. and 12-hour shifts, so that meant that they weren't present in person. Mm-hmm. But I always felt loved, always felt considered. My father was pretty hands-on, you know, so he would take me to play footy on the weekends, um, take me to ride my bike. We might just do things that, like, go Trafalgar Square to feed the pigeons, you know, like my dad was just one of <laughs> All those, of those kids, you know what I mean? Just nice little nuggets yeah. that you can just grow with. And my mother, um, she was equally just kind of like provider of love, mm-hmm. you know, um, she was a teacher. Her mother was a teacher before her. Um, so academia was always exalted in my mm-hmm. household. Right. And I enjoyed that. I mean, the books, the learning, you know, um, Obviously, there was never any money, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my parents migrated into the country in the hopes of, you know, forging some sort of pathway to, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go as far as prosperity, but, you know, they had hope that maybe that would be our portion, mm-hmm. you know, be myself and my brother. They had limited kind of prospects being illegal immigrants in the mm-hmm. country. So that was always felt as well. Mm-hmm. I had to have quite mature conversations with of my course. parents very early on. Um, so I remember like being 12, 13 and being kind of like sat down and explained to as to why um, Christmas won't be happening the right. same way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then I would say what I felt was quite mature back then yeah. <laughs> would be like, um, yeah, so then can we not put the Christmas tree up because that brings about connotations of yeah, yeah, yeah. presents, you know, and there won't be none. Yeah, so, you let's know. just Yeah, not. let's yeah, just yeah, not, yeah. you know. And then while we're at it, let's chuck out the turkey, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, too dry enough. for my All liking, you know. So I, I prefer the chicken to the turkey, you know. So And it, from that day, actually, it was always chicken. Really? The turkey, yeah. That's so, so you know. But yeah, no, all good. All good growing up. It was nice. Yeah, yeah. and then I believe... If I'm mm-hmm. right, I think you were technically a child genius. Yeah, oh. correct. Tell me about that. How did that come about? Like, how did yeah. you realise that you were kind of academically gifted in that way? It first started from every time a teacher would mark my, mm-hmm. like, papers, essentially. You know, it was always smiley faces. I realised it did come pretty easy to me. Mm-hmm. They would give me information. Then later on, they would ask for the information they gave me back yeah. and I would give it back to them and then everyone would clap and I was like, oh, this is yeah, this spectacular. Is <laughs> like, you know, this is a good gig. You I know, know so I just keep on rocking with this. You know, so kept on doing it. And then eventually, like, I'll be finishing um, stuff um, before the rest of my classmates. Mm-hmm. And then it became quite evident that maybe um, I needed more of a challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Myself and two others, um, we were highlighted. Um, and then we ended up sitting further exams and then I'll be sent to like competitions and then Amazing. stay behind after school for further maths, further science. And then they were like, all right, maybe you guys should sit your year nine SATs in year six. Yeah. You know? Oh and we're yeah, like, wow. all right, cool, we did it. And then ended up getting what some year nines don't. From that point, I know that you've said before that you were kind of hugely motivated and ambitious. Yeah. And I know that at some point, kind of after this, in terms of the experiences you talked about, how did it go from that to being involved in gang culture? I want to say it didn't go from that to mm-hmm. getting involved in gang culture. Mm-hmm. Um, gang culture was always in the background. Right. You know? It was always kind of there ready to kind of like ensnare us, Mm -hmm. you know. I remember the first kind of like interactions I had with that world was actually via my mum's tightened grip when we're walking past characters on the staircases. You know, I could tell that even though these were quote unquote maybe um, young people, that she was like, she recognised them as a threat. Mm -hmm. And the way they would kind of like give me a script when passing them what to say, what not to say, 
you know, and I realized that they were quite heightened in terms of being there, you know. So then as time went on, I started walking myself to school. And then I realized that, you know, sometimes people would ask you for the time in a while because they wanted the Yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> They're not interested. You know, they don't care. <laughs> the they don't care. Greenwich Mean Time yeah, is yeah, not yeah. what they're after, you know? So yeah. um, <laughs> I kind of got schooled on that front quite quickly. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it just became apparent that in the community I was in, mm-hmm. um, something as trivial as maybe going to the corner shop could turn into a whole out escapade, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, I would learn to, like, hide, like, um, change in my socks and... You know, I tried to do certain things, go the long way around, but sometimes I couldn't go in because they maybe sat right outside the house and then I have to wait for like an hour and then I'll get in and then get in trouble for why mm-hmm. you are an hour when it just yeah. takes five minutes yeah, and all yeah, the yeah. rest of it. And um, one of the real kind of changing points for me, I would say, um, on what I kind of think did start my overall dark evolution was when I witnessed someone being shot for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 12 years old, um, playing footy, um, I always say where it says no ball games allowed, we're playing ball games, go yeah. figure, because they haven't given us a football pitch. But I mean, I won't get into that yeah. right now. Um, but that being said, the young men was always around us, the ones that ended up discharging the firearm. And they were always, they seemed cool. You know, yeah. like, I mean, every time our ball would roll over to them, they'll roll back the ball. You yeah. know, and they were just in their own kind of conversations. You mm-hmm. know, seemed energy was cool. Um, like, we weren't frightened of them. There yeah. was no alarm, you know. Um, that being said, when a silver um, Jeep came towed into the area, their energy changed, you know. Um, hoodies went over heads, bandanas came out of back pockets, went over faces, and um, they got to it, you know. And a um, few words exchanged, and a long nose revolver came out of um, some trousers, and then it was discharged through to the driver. And then the driver ended up trying to veer out the way, ended up crashing into a pole, and the two wheels went up in the air, and it's literally lifted while everyone's scurrying out the car trying to escape. And then the young men that actually was responsible for the um, shooting, they actually ran in different directions except for the shooter. He ran back to where me and my mates were playing, um, took a brick from the wall, put the firearm there, put the brick back and told me to pass him the ball. So I passed him the ball and we played footy until <laughs> the police. You're like... Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you pass it straight. You know? <laughs> Make sure he nutmegs you on purpose. <laughs> like, you know? Jumping out of the way yeah. when he tries to score. You can have that. Yeah. Go. So, so yeah. It was a tough gig. But that being said, <laughs> by the time we were like playing footy with him, I don't know whether it's Stockholm started to have some affection towards him. It was like, oh, he's quite cool. He's mm-hmm. nice. Even though he just did that, he's a nice guy, you know? So then the police ended up um, rocking up and he actually flagged them over. Mm-hmm. which I thought was just so audacious. Yeah. You know, I'd never seen audacity yeah. that way before, I've got to be honest. And um, they came over and he was like, oh, yeah, we just saw everything. And the guys ran that way. And the police were like, oh, that's brilliant. Ran over that way. When he saw that they had gone far enough, he kind of touched all of us, gave us spuds, and then said, stay in school and jogged off. Fuck. Literally. And that was my introduction to kind of gangland London. You know, so, I mean, it went from bad to worse. I won't get into all of the yeah. um, plumbing. But yeah, so I realised I had to, you know, subscribe. And was it at that time that when you'd seen that, was it that that became attractive to you in a way that it was kind of like, I'm either with it or against it or, you know, or was it that that, as a young person, I can imagine, especially with a lot of like gamification of things nowadays, yeah. like that being like, oh, that was cool the way he did that. Yeah. Like, I can imagine that going through... I think a young person's head. All of the above. Mm. Like, as I said, it was super traumatic. I do remember being traumatized yeah. from the s- situation. Yeah. <laughs> My 12-year-old brain was yeah. just on, like, overdrive, you know? Um, but that being said, it was quite romantic. Yeah. I, like, coming from a household of illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. being the only one with the burgundy book, you know? <laughs> um, literally, like, I could feel just how softly they tread the ground. Yeah. You know, and just that constant insecurity. Right. And to just see him embody complete audacity. Mm. Yeah, coming from the community I was coming from, it had some appeal to it, right. for sure. But then there was also the reality of run with them or get run over, yeah. sort of. And I, yeah, I can fully imagine how if that's someone that you've seen a lot, it feels like they're one of you in terms of mm. you and your friends. Yeah, and then totally. you also see that happening at the same time. I can imagine that being 
such a small removal, except the only difference that represents is that person, like you'd always been told to play by the rules and like suddenly that person wasn't playing by the rules yeah. and it like, seemed like they'll get it was working ROI. for them. Yeah. yeah. What kind of happened next in terms of like you getting more involved in that? So I never had enough clout to join the existing gangs in the area yeah. because I was kind of like considered a boffin and neat, right. a yeah, geek, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Super soft, mm -hmm. you know, I um, still am, but I just had to just kind of create that hardened casing, you know, which took time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, initially my first response was if I can't join when I create my own. Right. You know, so I did create my own. And then um, I made it a home for those that was in that similar limbo, you know, who um, wasn't involved, but had enough of being dealt with in a certain way mm. and went to rectify that, you know, and we just kind of banded together. What was the aim of your group? Was it protecting you and each other? And I mean, everyone probably had different reasons for right. um, subscribing, but for me, it was immunity. I wanted a situation where I would be immune and I could give my people immunity also. Right. You know, like a friend of mine's dad was murdered over a PlayStation game. I was like, I don't want my dad to die. You right. know, my, my brother's being mugged repeatedly. I'm like, I don't want him to be mugged anymore. You know, like I just wanted my mother's car's being broken into. I want to solve for that. And I did. And you can very much imagine as well as like you've talked about the fact that like you'd have to wait hours to go to a corner shop because mm. you wouldn't be let in and like all of that. It completely makes sense. I mean, no one's coming in to help that situation. Yeah. All you can do is help that situation yourself. And I mean, when you call someone to help that situation, mm. which I did, mm. <laughs> mind you. Yeah. So I remember the first time I was um, assaulted in the area. Mm. So I was about 12. Yeah. And the guy punched me in my face. Um, unprovoked. Right. I didn't do a thing to him, you know, and... I just remember like holding my face and then seeing everyone as I was looking around and they kind of, they knew the currency mm. in that environment. And they knew that the only way like I can literally not be indebted in a certain way is to punch him back, payback, right. you know? So, but I just didn't have what it took. Like, even though like structurally I was, I was bigger than the guy, mm. but I just, I had never punched someone in yeah. the face before. So I just kind of held my own face and just kind of like run off. Yeah. Um, I ran off and ran all the way home, told my father. And my father is a complete gent, you know. So he, he told me to calm down, um, told me, do I know where the guy lives and his parents? I said, yes. He said, all right, cool. Let's go have a word with his folks, you know. So we walked over. We had a word with his folks in the living room. I mean, his folks were very hospitable. Yeah. Offered us tea and the rest of it and kind of said, you know, Boys shouldn't be playing this way, but boys will be boys sort of thing. Right. And then I felt the resolution. I was like, oh, I was looking at my dad like he was a yeah, hero. Because yeah. he is my hero, still is a hero. You know, he's the first entrepreneur I looked to. You know, he mm. left where he was in Ghana, you know, to a whole yeah. new land, you know. Um, but that being said, um, <laughs> the young man and his older brother were by the staircase. So I could see them at the corner of my eye as I was talking to the parents. So he had come in and in a performance sort of way, um, shook my hand and the rest of it and he was playing like we were friends right but through the corner of my eye he was doing this to me with his hands and saying what and his older brother now saying the same right. thing and I was like all right so this don't work yeah. <laughs> all right cool so I'm gonna solve for it I think it's so interesting because like the way the media and like outside perspective portrays these types of environments is so simplistic mm. it's like just don't do it mm -hmm. or it's like get out of that or mm -hmm. all of that and at the same time there is absolutely no investment into youth centers into things that yeah. would give people not necessarily other things to do but if you're thinking both your parents are at work all the time and yeah. then you're playing on the estate like yeah, that there's absolutely. going to be the things that are happening instead of that it's like putting the fault on the individuals on like say what were you 12 yeah like 12 year old boys who are trying to you were clearly like a great student. You clearly played by the rules. You clearly did exactly what you needed to do. And it didn't work yeah. because it's not going to work in a system where it doesn't work. Absolutely. Like as in, I can imagine there are so many young people in a similar environment who really want to stay on quote unquote the straight and narrow. Like mm -hmm. they really want to get through that, break the cycle, whatever it might be. But how can we stop people turning to things like gangs when there is also no investment in Absolutely. the space to stop that i mean opportunity and access mm -hmm. it's not evenly distributed mm -hmm. you know so and that's felt right it is felt like i knew that very early on mm. i knew that we were from a corner of society 
where we had the short straw. Mm. It was felt, it was evident. You could see it in day-to-day kind of like activities. It's so othered in the way that like we look at the, even the policing system, for example, which obviously is a whole other topic, but we look at the policing system and we look at the fact that actually in those types of environments, you're far more likely if you're caught doing something just to be thrown straight in juvie, for example. Like as in like, that's the way it works. Like you're bad eggs. It's like, just like, we're going to deal with those people. And then we also see re-offending as so much higher because actually clearly the only reason you did that was punishment. It wasn't actually wanting to rehabilitate that person Mm -hmm. or get them onto a right path, any of that. It was look that person away, they'll come out in a few years and they'll know what they've done. But it's like, but we know that doesn't work. But you don't care about the fact that that doesn't work because all you care about is like ticking your boxes. I mean, it's cosmetic. To actually do the real work Mm -hmm. would take real work. Mm -hmm. So most people just do have a cosmetic kind of approach to things. I'll never forget one um, time, one article. And I mean, I believe everyone should be granted chances within reason you know the aim is to um help all within society develop Mm -hmm. so that they can contribute to society Mm -hmm. you know rising tides Mm. all boats yeah that being said i remember an article of a a a young lady who had actually stabbed her partner Mm -hmm. and she was in oxford at the time and she was spared jail time and I just remember reading the article. I'm like... I was there at the time. Were you? Yeah. I remember friends of mine caught with a knife in their pocket. Because there's real threats, mind mm-hmm. you. Like, I mean, it's in an environment where you've already been to like... You're maybe 14, 15 years old. You've already been to three, four funerals where someone has died because they've been knifed. Um, you yourself might have been stabbed at this top point by now. And you're now carrying a knife. Mm for what you would deem as protection right you know and now you're seeing someone that actually wasn't in danger but in fury and their only motivation was maybe to get even and then literally stabbed the guy and the judge said because of your potential right whereas which is exactly (laughs) this otherness because it's essentially deeming anyone who grows up in an estate within this type of environment as lacking potential rather than lacking the support in the system to be able to develop that potential like say in your scenario you were a literal like qualified Mm -hmm. child genius and had got into this situation after fighting it for years yeah and I wonder how many other people could genuinely say they feel like they could grow up in that environment and not fall into it. Yeah. As you say, like the way that the solution to that is weapon sweeps and stops mm-hmm. and searches rather than prevention. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so backwards. Like when you really think about it and you really look at the reasons why people get into these situations, instead of like fighting the cause, fighting the fact that people have got to the point where they feel like at age 12, they need to be carrying something to mean that they're not going to die over a PlayStation. Yeah, like literally. how, how, how? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it is ludicrous. If you want to really unpack it, the wider world must know, the mainstream must at least acknowledge that to subscribe to such a detrimental way of being, mm-hmm. human beings tend to, if we are given the option, try to pick the better right. of. Right, Yeah? So, I mean, they did a study a little while ago in, uh, I believe it was Saudi Arabia, actually. Mm-hmm. And they saw so many um, young men, it being Saudi Arabia, so mainly young men, um, with engineering degrees mm-hmm. getting into radicalization. Okay. And they were like, what is this connection between engineering degrees and extremism? Like, they're just not understanding. So they did a bit more kind of like interrogating to what was maybe what was actually going on. And it turns out that um, SA had put a call to action on like a collective front for the nation and said, listen, we need engineers, we need engineers, we need engineers. This is our future. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build together. Right. So um, a lot of young men, like, hearkened to this call, you know, went and actually, like, plugged in to become engineers, you know, hoping that they were going to be able to contribute as assets, you know, and also be rewarded for that. That being said now, um, Saudi Arabia ended up um, outsourcing all of the engineers to US and um, Mm. UK um, engineers, essentially. And then, um, so they felt jilted. Right. And by that feeling jilted, that's what left them vulnerable to be indoctrined, you know? That speaks to the power of exclusion, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you do not perceive, believe, or you aren't a part of what's going on, 
explicitly and it doesn't have to be said to you that you're not a part you yeah, can you see that, yeah. yeah then you're going to subscribe to ways of being mm. if you're given all the potential but it's actually not potential everything you do right results in a dead end yeah which we know is the case with I mean, in general, when doors are shut in terms of like racism, in yep. terms of like your background, in terms yep. of any of these things, and you think that if you play in line with the system, it's still going to stop you. <laughs> like you can see why that lack of opportunity would result in either apathy, which is mm -hmm. just kind of, well, yeah. what's the fucking point? Yeah. Or fighting yeah. against it and just being like, well, I can't win by fighting good, so I'll mm -hmm. fight dirty. Yeah. And like you can see so much how there is a huge misunderstanding of the fact that it's not that suddenly all of these people were born and were like, do you know what I want to do? I want yeah. to join a fucking gang. Yeah. Like, as in like, this Come is on. really what I want to do. Like, <laughs> of course, like how people think that, how like in politics, it's almost like said to be that or in policing or whatever. It's like, how? Like, that's bubbles. That's mm. what bubbles do. Yeah. And it's easier to <laughs> comprehend in that way. And it's easier Absolutely. to, it's easier to other it. It's easier to see it as a problem that doesn't demand investment mm -hmm. because it's, not a bad system it's bad people and it helps for one's pride because mm -hmm. then you believe that you are in the position you are purely because of meritocracy that's so true as well it's your merit that has right. done that you know so, so. say i was 12 and yeah. i was it was at the same time and i was mm -hmm. looking at you in that position it gives me the pride and ego to almost think i'm not there because i'm a good person Absolutely. rather than thinking i'm not there because i've been given because completely different opportunities like yeah. all of these different things and what would you say to someone's parents who was kind of in that situation at that time, that kind of turning point that you had? Lemonek. I mean, as a parent now myself, mm -hmm. um, words would genuinely fail me. Mm -hmm. This is systemic, you know? Like, I, I would like to pretend that my parents right. didn't right. do what was right. Of course. You know, they but, spoke yeah, to me. You know, yeah, they yeah, tried yeah. to deter me. They gave me an example, which was, you know... Like, they didn't even use profanity. Mm -hmm. You know, the only law I knew of them breaking was the one yeah. that it took to get them in the country. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's because they wanted to break the right. cycle of poverty, essentially, of you know? So, in terms of what I would tell them, I, I mean, words would fail me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what I, I probably would say is just continue to double down on their strengths and maybe mm -hmm. have an open channel mm -hmm. for conversation, mm -hmm. you know, um, where your reflex and response isn't judgment as such because then that would then deter the young person from coming and sharing with you again. And there is, has been times where, like, I just wanted a conversation and had no one to really speak right, to. Because I feared that judgment, you know, so maybe that could help. But all in all, I know there's many parents that are doing everything they can of course, above and, and beyond. Not, yeah, and it's can't it's, yeah, be their fault. <laughs> yeah, they can't go against the time, no, really. Yeah. of course. And at what point did you get out of the cycle and how did you start to move away from that? Oh, I say around 20, mm -hmm. you know, maybe 21. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had initial kind of like thoughts and intentions of um, leaving this behind, you know. Um, it became apparent to me that what we were doing actually wasn't winning. Right. And I'm quite obsessed with winning, mm -hmm. you know. So I was like, hmm. Like, it seems like it's been taken from us. Right. We're losing this, we're losing that, we're yeah, losing this, yeah, I've yeah. lost that, I've lost this, he lost that, she lost that. And I'm like, this is just losing. Right. You know, um, but when you're in it, you don't really see that straight away because mm -hmm. again, German cars, Italian clothes. Right, of course. You know, but that being said, I was like, all right, cool. I want to move towards winning through the help of a woman called Pastor Mimi. Mm -hmm. She had this rare ability to differentiate between what someone does and who they are having conversations with her where there is that space mm -hmm. you know between you and gangsterism you know it made me feel like I had more agency to do what I wanted course, you know yeah. and take a different direction potentially and when it became apparent that I wanted to go in a different direction I started doing that essentially by trying to no longer shit where I was sleeping mm -hmm. you know that's useful but I had been doing that for a very long time. So mm -hmm. obviously it was, it was very difficult mm -hmm. to not kind of like leave my house and kind of fall into a scenario that could end you in the old Bailey yeah. by the end of the night. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, was, it was difficult. But I mean, like we just kept on taking like steps each day towards that. And I did it as a group, actually. I had a few young men that also wanted to make that similar migration. Um, and for me, like a big part of it for me was reading. You know, I just became like an autodidact. I returned to 
um, my love of books mm -hmm. um, and just started to consume them. I was reading about a book a week for a period. Really? And yeah. what types of books were they? Um, I mean, everything from um, fiction to self-help books yeah. to autobiographies, mm. anything that kind of just um, caught my eye. I would yeah. go to people I admired on the internet. I can't go to them because they weren't in my community. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we had the phenomenon called the internet, you know, yeah. so I put them into the Google search engine and ask for their reading list and then they would just pop up and then I'll just order books, you That's know. That's amazing. But, I mean, at the time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm there, like, it would take a big chunk of my um, cleaning um, money because yeah. I, was, I, was, I was cleaning at the time to make a, yeah. a living, you know. Um, so, like, some of the books were, like, 40 quid, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was quite a dent on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it was worth it. It made me feel happy. I felt like I was being edified, you know, and I loved I got, I got obsessed with um, personal development. Of course. And how did you actually make the move from saying, if you were still leading the gang at that time, yeah. was it a case of sitting people down and being like, I'm off? Yeah. Or... Yeah. I mean, I did a, a lot of that. Yeah? Yeah. So, I mean, despite what the news, like, articles and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, all the sound bites, like, these are not feral, mm -hmm. like, creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These no, are human sure. beings, mm -hmm. you know? So I just sat down with most of them, most yeah. of them being my mates. Yeah. And was like, listen, when my mother begged me to stop, I didn't, you know. Um, when the police told us they got our number, like, we should stop, I didn't, you know. Like, when the enemy, you know, which whoever we made and we were at loggerheads with at that time was like, you know, we're going to kill you, essentially. Like, and they tried and attempted valiantly mm. on several occasions. I didn't stop. None of these things deterred me. But at this point, I don't believe in this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I can't do what I don't believe in, you know, so respectfully... I'm going to bow out, you know? And I mean, it was well received by most, actually. Were you ever worried that, because obviously you've gone on to become quite a public figure and to, yeah. you know, do the work you've done. Yeah. Were you ever worried that by people seeing that money or seeing that success, mm -hmm. that you would either be become a victim or be dragged back into it? No, because majority of my time and energy after denouncing my involvement went to try and helping others in that area. You know, and that was felt, you know, I was received in the community as someone that was actively trying to work against that. Mm -hmm. So whether that be I'm um, taking young men in and actually trying to like rehabilitate them right. or I'm um, doing mediation work and going to like estates where they're at conflict and when it's at its peak and try mm. to speak them down or stopping maybe police officers if they were dealing with certain people in the community a bit too harshly, you know, going to like forums and talking out on the behalf of them. So it was felt. But that being said, haters can come in different forms. But like, I can imagine the fact that probably everyone wants to get out of it in a, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Like even the people who are most indoctrinated within mm -hmm. it will probably, I can imagine there could be almost some jealousy of being yeah. like, this guy's actually managed to break out and not just break out to do some quote unquote normal job that mm -hmm. actually is a, maybe a step down in terms of earnings or respect yeah. or whatever it might be. I can imagine that could incite some kind of, why isn't that me? Therefore, bring that person no, totally, down. Totally. And I think it's partially why um, in my verbiage, it's always around the fact that, like, yes, I've worked hard. Yes, I've done, I've taken massive action. Mm. Yes, like, I, I've had grit and I portion all of these great things. Mm. But that being said, I still have a veritable lottery ticket win. Right. You know, and I acknowledge that. Mm. You know, and I always try to use my platform to say that, 
the stars aligned for mm -hmm. me. Of you know, this is not completely meritocracy, you know? Yeah. So even though, like, even now I haven't acquired nepotism, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, for, so. of course. And are privileged in the fact that you, I mean, it goes without saying that you lacked a lot of privileges yeah. growing up and, yeah. like, still, still will have in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that you, I guess, had an inherent privilege in the fact that you were smart as yeah. well. And, like, Absolutely. you knew that you had transferable skills that actually someone might look at you and be like, I need it probably not, but you're also like, I also started this. Yeah, <laughs> I also no, am smart. Like I can completely. read, you know, I can digest books 100%. and like all of this. And I can imagine that you probably felt like also. I could thrive yeah. there, if I'm exactly. being honest. I did have that. So yeah, but I mean, absolutely there'll be some. I mean, maybe I'm too busy with the vision. Mm. So I really- Don't even notice it. <laughs> I mean, I gotta yeah. be honest, for me it's all about momentum, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So I'm way too occupied on that front. But yeah, I can imagine there must be, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, yeah. I would be, personally. No, I know? can completely so, imagine that. And yeah. also it's like the way you speak about it. You know when you see public speakers and it's about getting out of jail or whatever it might yeah. be. And what you never do is you never demonise it. Mm. You've never kind of come out of that. You've said it's a terrible thing. And yeah. it's like, you know, like no one wants to be in there and all of these things, but you're not coming out and being like, all oh, those people are so like, yeah. can't believe they're still in there. Yeah, like no you're very clear about yeah. the fact that like, why it happened, why it still happens, yeah. why it will still keep happening until yeah. there's, you know, systemic changes, mm -hmm. which I can imagine means that, yeah, it's like, you don't make yourself an enemy because yeah. you're not. This is it. You you're know you're I mean? showing the opp opportunity. It's, 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 it's like all of this, um, like the conversation between legalize and or the war on you know it's for me it's not the war on mm. that's not what's going to get to the heart of this even when i did denounce my involvement and i wanted to formalize the process i mm. underwent and passed in mimi's house right. by creating the country's first therapeutic community gang rehabilitation center Incredible. i went around basically saying that this needs to be seen more as a mental health mm -hmm. issue on some level because i mean paranoia is raining there yeah. like the clinical depressions raining mm -hmm. there you know, like um, like psychosis and a lot of people, it's raining there, you know, like huge anxiety and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Like, you know, so I'm like, we need to deal with this correctly mm -hmm. and stop doing the cosmetic stuff, so. Yeah. yeah, you said that in your transition moving away from all of the gang-related things, the you were working as a cleaner. Yeah. Is that how you started to make the money to get out of it? Um, No, I it actually didn't take money to get out. I was like one of the top boys on my estate, mm -hmm. yeah? So as a result, there was few people that kind of scold me mm -hmm. for stepping away, right? you know? Partially because of the reputation I had built for myself and maybe them thinking I might revert on them, mm -hmm. you know? So that gave me a level yeah. of immunity for a piece. And then by the time they realised that, oh no, this guy's for real. He mm -hmm. actually isn't responding, reacting, yeah. And like, yeah, he has unsubscribed. Right. Um, but my best friend is still top boy of that estate and he does his job and they don't want him on them. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah, so again, enough. that gave me another bit of extended mm -hmm. runaway, mm -hmm. you know? So I had a bit of a, you know, there's yeah. a grace to it. You know, mm -hmm. stars did a line for me, you know? But yeah, I didn't have to like pay my way out mm -hmm. of it. But in terms of, um, I couldn't sign on, mm -hmm. um, not because there's anything wrong with it, because of my personal preference, right. yeah? And that being said, what kind of like fueled that is um, early doors when I was um, doing um, street exploits to make gains um, at certain times when certain groups would receive their gyro, you know, you might have an affiliation with the places they pick up those gyros, which might be the place you go to pick up your income support mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. So it just kind of had a weird association mentally for me mm -hmm. so I just avoided it mm -hmm. so um to kind of I did need money to mm -hmm. kind of get by yeah, so then my mother gave me her cleaning job yeah it was I always say it's my one inheritance yeah. financial inheritance yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah you know she had she was a nurse full-time she was working like 16 14 hour days mm. my mother don't even know what 12 hour is like now it's kind of got decreased but back then that yeah. was the case and then she would have this cleaning job you know which was her pride and joy and my dad worked at the security firm that she cleaned the offices for. Right. 
you know, so it's all kind of like a family yeah, yeah. business. And then they were aware of what I was involved in. My mother spoke to them and articulated the thing and that the fact I denounced it and like she don't want me to go for an interview because the likelihoods I'm not that kind of polished right, right now. So can she just give me the job? And then they were like, yeah, you know, yeah. and that helped. It really helped. Amazing. You know, I had great conversations with those toilet bowls. You know, I told them everything <laughs> like, I was going to do. You're like, this is the right thing. I, said, this, I told them everything I'm about to do in this world and you wait. And if you don't believe me, whatever. Flush. <laughs> So yeah. And what was your route from that into the working world that you then became a part of in terms of like entrepreneurship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Necessity, Mm -hmm. you know. So again, I got quite obsessed with personal development. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, reading became an addiction for me. That's the best way to kind of... Mm. I have quite an addictive personality, Mm -hmm. full stop, you know. Um, And I tend to do stuff to the extreme, mm-hmm. you know? So I read books extremely. Yeah, yeah. I read extremely. Like, yeah. yeah, so that was the, and then um, it just, I began to see more. And mm-hmm. as a result, I wanted more, mm-hmm. you know? So it began to stoke that fire underneath me, you know, to burn in a certain way our ambition, you know? So then I was like, all right, cool. What is the one thing that people are interpreting straight away when they kind of meet someone, all right, appearance, but then what else? And I'm like, their words. So I was like, all right, cool. I've got these ideas of things that I think initiatives that can move things along for my community directly, i.e. the rehab center being one of them. Mm -hmm. I had other initiatives I wanted to get rolled out. Um, And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to have to pitch this to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, cool. They're not going to hear me by going, is it and bruv and all the rest of it. So I said, I'm going to have to change my lingual syntax. You know, so I learned 10 new words a day to change that. You know, got a hell of a vocabulary, you know, and I just went to town, you know. And then I realised, I was very fortunate to realise that I had an informal classroom Mm -hmm. in the streets. I understood that that's where my entrepreneurialism started. Mm -hmm. You know, I understood that I was 12 years, 13 years old and leading about 50 to 60 young men about my age, you know. And I wasn't incentivising them by giving them a check. Right. You know, I had to still, you know, it took a lot of that to navigate. And I realised that relationships was my superpower. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, cool, I'm just going to double down on what I've already done my 10,000 hours on, you know, because I'm not about to reinvent the wheel. So I ended up doubling down on that and ended up doing like one-on-one meetings. And that I took it at a cadence and a tempo. I was doing 40 to 50 sometimes, and those a week. Wow. Yeah, I literally was just shaking hands, revolving door, revolving door, revolving door. Hi, my name is, no, 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 no. I'd like to build this. I'd like to do this. Can you help me? Do you want to work with this? And eventually, like, it began to build some traction. And what was the idea at that stage that you were building momentum for? It was the rehab centre. So for me, it was something that could be scaled and bring about systemic change in right. the country. And it was like the UK was turning into this war on. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah, very yeah, much, yeah. and that weren't going to do a thing. I think it's still referred know? to in that way. It's the Absolutely. war on life crime, the war Absolutely. on. Absolutely. You know, it weren't going to, it weren't going to work that way. Yeah. You know, so I was the like. The systemic change against doesn't have like the same ring to it, Come I feel. on, you know. <laughs> no, and that's a big part of it. It's yeah. verbiage, messaging. Exactly. That's what the world's governed on, yeah. you know. So, yeah, they, they didn't bite. But I mean, I ended up getting some great characters together. So like David Chipperfield at the time was also, they were based in the borough mm-hmm. to like um, great PR guys to head of ex-banks and yeah. I, I was convening everyone to uh-huh. like um, leaders of parties and like everyone was kind of around the table trying to help and infuse this idea. And you so know. were you raising were you raising money at that point? Everything. I was mm-hmm. doing everything. Raising the profile of it, raising um, the players to kind of like contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to um, get a new policy put in place, which mm-hmm. was a GRO. Right. And um, what existed was a DRO, which is a drug referral order that gives right. the judge the opportunity to either incarcerate someone or to send them to get help for what actually f- was fueling their criminality. Right, okay. So I went okay. the gang referral order. Oh, you know? okay. So I was trying to push for that. Yeah. Um, I was just indifferent. Then I was also raising the money to actually get it done. So I was doing a bit of everything, but mainly the spearhead of it, mm-hmm. you know, and just trying to kind of galvanise that support. But that being said, um, it that's what started off my network in an insane way because I just went to the Google search and just said, who has the most money in the country? Who has the most political clout in the country? Yeah. Who's the biggest X in well, the country, the it. biggest Y in no, the country? Yeah, yeah. And whoever got back to me, I shot an email to their PAs, PAs, PA, yeah. and there was some weird trickle up. Yeah. You know? And like out of the 12, 10 got back to me, out of the 10, nine met with me on one night for a dinner to incubate the idea. And that set me off. And that was like, what, a decade ago? 
wow. or just shy of a decade ago and all it's done is snowball since then you know? incredible yeah. and at what point did that turn into the initial or did you start the initial idea for black seed okay so i mean i always say that black seed has always been on the cusp right and black seed is 20 years late mm-hmm. so anyone could have picked this up and every, mm-hmm. anyone should have picked this up mm-hmm. you know and i know others have and still can yeah and still can yeah and others have picked this up in a way that was compatible for the UK at the time they were approaching right. it. So they couldn't be explicit and say they're going to help black founders. Because mm-hmm. there's a similar right. situation to yeah, what's happening yeah. in Paris currently. Yeah. Where you can't say you're helping black founders. Or like the initial you Stormzy know? scholarship where people were you like, know, what the fuck? And it's like, come know, on now. <laughs> yeah. So at that time there, like I understood that everything is racialized. Yeah. You know? Um, but I knew that I couldn't have a racial conversation when I was campaigning right. and advocating for a more fairer and more inclusive business ecosystem. Uh-huh. I was doing it, but I was putting it more in the twang of class. Right. You know, even though I knew it was predominantly, you know, and disproportionately, yeah. you know. But that being said, um, I've always been campaigning mm-hmm. for inclusion. I'm like, listen, exclusion is what as our fragmented society, mm-hmm. the byproduct of those fragments is actually what is creating these crevices that are being filled with things like gangsterism right. or homelessness or mm-hmm. drug addiction or mm-hmm. all of these kind of like trigger words, you know? So the way to solve for that is to actually include someone. Because I mean, whether exclusive, but in the boys club, or whether excluded, street-level gang, you're going to subscribe to a different way of being that the rest of society isn't, you right. know? And if you want people within society contributing, you're going to have to give them a seat at the table, mm-hmm. you know? So I've been saying that for a little while, but now it's latest iteration. And what I deem the most um, significant kind of vehicle is actually been in is Black Seed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when did you officially start that? Black Seed um, was a twinkle in the eye from the first national lockdown, but it exists purely in the realm of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually pre-George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Like, and when I say pre, I mean like a week's eve. Right. Um, my now co-founder reached out to me and was like, listen, I've taken part in 10 of the country's top accelerator programs, pitched to over 100 venture capitalists and haven't been able to raise a penny. I cannot, I read about Go that. I can't fucking believe Go that. figure. You know, he's like, listen, I've got NVIDIA as a partner, NHS on the hook as a client. I've got the patents. This is my third rodeo. It's not like I'm a first time founder. Yeah. i got found the fit. I've worked for the likes of X and Y. And, you know, like, I mean, like it's here. I own this bit of tech here. It's timely. It's telediagnostic tech that can triage and detect COVID. I mean, for it to not even get a look in, like it just, I'm, I mean, I'm making fucking clothes. <laughs> I haven't I been mean, in any of the top incubators. Yeah, like, I as hear in... you. Not, it's loud. It's loud. So when he said, I was like, I hear you totally get And we, behind closed doors, were having a race conversation. Yeah. Oh, no, it was completely a race conversation course, right from yeah. the go. I was like, listen, I've got a lot of time on my hands. So back to this ability to regurgitate. Yeah. I was like, dump it all on me. Give me yeah. the deep dive. Immerse me in it. And then I will go and pitch it for you on your, your behalf to my high net worths, which are just my mates. Yeah. You know, and I did so and we got him seeded in Amazing. like three, four phone calls. And then a week later, George Floyd's online execution happened. And we're like, listen, we've just moved it for us on a micro level. Maybe we can move it for us on a macro. And that was the essence of Black Seed. But we disagreed on how to do that for a little right. while. He went to create a bot with a rolling syndicate, 2K buying only black investors. Right. And I was of the mind that, listen, I have the vertical lottery ticket win. I've been waiting to put this to good use. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability through my network to meet them where they are right. and take them where they need to be. Right. You know, so we agreed to disagree, went to our separate silos, but we had a gentleman's agreement that, you know, whoever breaks ground first, that the other will Amazing. go in the direction of traction. And, yeah. You know, he was a man of his word. Yeah. So yeah. And so you managed to raise, is it £10 million pounds for so the fund? So we have a £10 million pound fund mm-hmm. and we've just drawn down first close of £6 million. Incredible. Yeah. So the initial raise, that was through connections. Am I right in thinking that was connections like Prince Harry? So no. So I was um, doing advisory work mm-hmm. um, right. for Prince Harry a little while ago. Um, and he is a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, the money that we raise is actually mainly institutions. 
So we have a few angels in there, mm -hmm. such as like Lord Mervyn Davies, um, Sam Branson. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, the majority of the funding is actually institutional money, so venture funds. and. In terms of the, that initial timeline, so from when you guys agreed to kind of not really go your separate ways, but like both try your own hand at it and yeah. then come back together with yeah. the with the money. How long did it take you to raise that 10 million? Do you know, yeah, good question. So we did a lot of planning, mm -hmm. yeah? So planning itself, we want to be black led and for black founders, mm -hmm. yeah? And we wanted to serve the underserved and what does that actually look like? And we realized it should exist as a duality. You know, it needs to be a tech fund explicitly, but then it also needs to be a community. Right. You know, so even if we don't give maybe a capital commitment to a founder, we can commit to them in a particular way and give them maybe right. inspiration capital. Which is so capital, important. Network capital, huge, you know. And then we can also provide that for the port call, which mm -hmm. is our portfolio businesses. Yeah. All right. Sweet. So we're like, all right, we've got this idea now. Let us actually begin on the community end. So we just started doing events at volume on a monthly basis, three times a month, online and offline. That was about just over a year ago we started those events. And then we started raising about maybe nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that obviously we met last June, yeah. was it? Yeah. Yeah, and I know you were initially yeah. kind of in the early stages of it at yeah. that point. Yeah, at that time it was actually a JV. Okay. It was a joint venture right. with another um, venture fund, mm -hmm. um, of which we iterated from then. Mm -hmm. um, we've pivoted, sorry. And now we exist as a traditional fund mm -hmm. and a community. Yeah. With the £10 million fund, mm -hmm. we are going to invest in 30 companies over three Amazing. years. Amazing. Yeah. So we'll invest in, on a rolling basis, 10 companies a year, mm -hmm. and we'll write 200k tickets. What's the process by which that you're investing in those Founders. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of our like sourcing the deal flow, like we do that via our communities, mm -hmm. we do that through our tentacles, mm -hmm. we do that through the um, bat signals we put up in the air, whether that's via social media or via um, like press, you mm -hmm. know. Um, that being said, we have huge inbound, um, and then we have like internal reviews to filter that, and then we have an IC process, which is our investment yeah, committee. Yeah. Um, we screen it, but I mean, ultimately, like we have a, a criteria, mm -hmm. you know, and um, one of the main points on that criteria is that one of the founding team has to self-identify as black. Right. You know, and then also it has to be tech-enabled company, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's other bits in terms of our screening. But without that, there isn't, because that is the crux yeah. of it. You know? I think the thing is, what you're saying and showing as well is the fact that it doesn't happen means that it, it doesn't mean that it can't happen. Yeah. Like the black founder statistics are horrific. Yeah, it's a horror and film. You be, it's honestly, like yeah. as in it is, you think the female funding stats are bad, yeah. like looking at the black founder no, stats, scary. I mean it is, it's just, I mean it's completely horrifying, yeah. it's unbelievable <laughs> and it's the fact that like when I look at the female founder ones for example, yeah. I'm like, 97.2% going to men in any industry would yeah. be an issue, right? Absolutely. Like, and would be talked about everywhere. Yeah. If every company <laughs> is started from entrepreneurship, yeah. then the entire industry of everyone's jobs ever is also. So like Absolutely. the fact that that's what, what's the number? Is it 0.24% I mean, of venture And that's funding? if you're a black man, a black woman is 0024 Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just put an extra zero for... Yeah, just luck. throw an extra yeah, zero in there. Yeah. And zero point anything, this means nothing. Nothing has been going there. No. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I had um, Sharma Dean Reed on here just before you. Yeah. And she's one of 10 black founders that have been invested in in the UK in the past... Last decade. Decade. Yeah. Absolutely. Decade. Yeah. One in 10. Yeah. Like, how how <laughs> is that being allowed to run? Like, how is that not even... As far as I'm concerned, if that happened in any other industry, mm -hmm. across every single website yeah. that is partaking in that, they in the same way as like sustainability in fashion or any yeah. industry, there's something on the website that says, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You see, venture gets to live and exist in the shadows. Mm -hmm. because, because it's an old boys club. Because it's, the, it's the... It's the money. It's the white tech it's boys. It's just plugging yeah, in yeah, yeah. to a public-facing mm -hmm. company, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you it know? is all behind so, the scenes. It's behind it's the so scenes. True. You know, it can afford to be, you know, hidden. But this is why yeah. I want to talk about it so much, because it's like, 
we literally talked about this last summer yeah. and like I wasn't even fundraising at that point and obviously mm-hmm. as I've like mentioned the female funding stats are nowhere near as bad as the black funding stats mm-hmm. and I didn't even know I, I knew how bad the black funding stats were at the time yeah. I didn't know that I mean it's just kept so under wraps yeah. that you're just like it's not something you do know about because it's not talked about absolutely when I've said it online people have been like wait what yeah. <laughs> what now yeah and the fact that it's able to go under the radar because it seems like a niche if you think of every company comes from entrepreneurship and usually every big company comes from funding, mm-hmm. like that's a fucking huge problem. It's a also huge knowing that people within the leadership positions, so say say with women, women hire more women into leadership positions because they yeah. have no perception of the fact that that person might not be able to do it. Yeah. I think completely the same with like completely. any unconscious bias completely. or conscious bias completely. and racism completely. in terms of you know, a black founder will be far more likely yeah. to hire. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is the reptile brain. You know, you just can't escape that. Mm. So, I mean, more black leaders in certain positions is going to mean, and I mean, I've been a advisor to huge public facing institutions from around the world, global institutions with AUMs that like can rival telephone numbers. Right. Yeah. That being said, like, I know there's a lot of goodwill there. However, out of maybe their 600 partners globally, 598 of them are white. And now they're fatiguing the two because now they're having to do this roadshow yeah. to kind of show that, hey, we aren't racist. Yeah. Look, we have Coffee Look at and Jermaine. Look, <laughs> look, you know, it is, it is literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost comical if it yeah. wasn't so fucking depressing. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. So, yeah. yeah. But then it's like also, I think obviously what you're doing is like, is so incredible and so important. And I think it's so important that bigger VCs as well don't see that and go like, oh, well, that's being kind of like dealt with. Absolutely. Like they're doing the, and it's like, you genuinely have to believe that this is the right thing to do. And also, statistically, is a more enticing investment because, it's, uh, because diverse founders outperform. Absolutely. It's been the case. I mean, even America, that is the kind of quote-unquote engine currently. Right. It's usually the migrant founders that mm. come in, those that have some disconnection from what is kind of like same, mm. you know? But I mean, that being said, for a period, it's going to take a catalogue of convictors. Right. I mean... At the moment, because there's been such a huge dislocation right. and such a huge um, allocation gap when it comes to funding, mm-hmm. only certain groups, mainly white males, have been receiving capital. Mm-hmm. So they've been churning out these generational the companies. Stories, yeah. So now they all have the conviction that, yeah, if I invest in someone that went to that institution mm. that looks like him, that speaks mm-hmm. like him, that is a him, mm-hmm. then I'm going to get a return. They don't yet have that conviction for the other. No matter how much they say they do, mm. they actually do not. Well, if we look at the amount of companies that actually succeed, say if it was like one in a hundred, that doesn't. E- then, if you're looking at the amount that was actually given to black founders, that statistically cannot make sense. Yeah. Like, as in, like, if it's what one in ten <laughs> black female founders within the UK, so that's like, say, Sharmadi's one. Of, statistically, that mm-hmm. cannot succeed. Yeah. Because we know it's less than one in ten that actually make it happen, and it's like, so I I put up a post the other day that was about the funding gap. And someone commented being like, and they outperform and like put some mm. statistics. And someone was like, yeah, but it's a much smaller sample size. Mm. It's like, how are you going to tell me that the sample size is smaller when you're not giving us the fucking yeah. money to do the success stories yeah. to show you that it works? Absolutely. Like it cannot be changed until it's changed. Mm-hmm. And like, just do it. We'll, we'll prove it. Yeah. Like, as in like, oh, I mean, this can probably tell. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got to be honest. If I... I was at the pinnacle of my frustrations. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to be honest. Like mm-hmm. during that first national lockdown, mm-hmm. I felt fatigued, and not just for me, but for my community. I was like, listen, first I was naive to think if I touch certain heights, that there will be some mass exodus. Everyone in my community would be like, if Carl Loco, furthest from the throne room, scum of the universe, X, Y, and Z, is <laughs> able to touch those like places and those, you know, milestones, then I can too. Right. And I just wasn't seeing it inspiring mm. others. And then I would go and then I would speak and try to investigate. Like, what's going on? How come we're not marching? Like, mm. I was doing that, look behind me, no one. I don't understand what's yeah, going yeah, on, yeah. you know? Um, and then they'd be like, yeah, but I mean... They only let one in. Mm-hmm. Exception to the rule. I mean, <laughs> I, I, said, I would say as well, there have been rooms that we've been yeah. in where 
yes, you're there, but I'm the only one. <laughs> like, as in, it's quite, it's the, like, it's like, great. It, I'm really mean, proud of you guys. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's, I've got to be honest. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, so it was, it was tough. And that's when I realised that, listen, this is systemic. Yeah. And until we start to address it at a systemic level, mm. I mean, it's still going to be clogged. You know, we need to let the pipeline through. Mm. <laughs> and that I think is a good place to end thank you so much for coming no, on honestly I mean I think me. that I guess the most important things that if any investors are listening to this yeah money yeah bring your money for sure <laughs> first you thing can bring it but also showing that like it's shit that you're the one who has to do the work you're doing amazingly yeah. but it's it, it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be you needing to, like, to do the work, no, but you're doing the work and you're doing it well. So it's also like even creating, even, for example, the companies you're not investing in, yeah. giving them the networks and giving them the, I guess, the capabilities and the know-how and the peer-to-peer -peer kind of contact yeah. to be able to have even a small slice of like the traditional nepotism mm -hmm. and networks that people would have had from going yep. to private school, yep. Oxford, Cambridge, like yep. whatever it might be, is just so valuable. Mm -hmm. And actually just before we finish, for black founders or black aspiring entrepreneurs yeah. who are listening to this, what can they do to kind of get into that network slash, you know, potentially come to you in for investment, yeah. whatever it might be? I mean, the best route in, I would say, is either via our website, mm -hmm via email mm -hmm. or um, socials. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even a DM would suffice. Yeah. But that being said, um, attend one of our events. Mm -hmm. And our events is usually put out on our socials. Yeah. And the main one that we're probably most active is our actual Instagram mm -hmm. in terms of our community events. Yeah. And that's at Black Seed VC. Mm -hmm. So literally, yeah, just roll up and then, yeah. You Amazing. And we'll put all of those, we'll put those links in the show notes as well so you can go and click on them. Um, if you're listening to this, but thank you so much. Oh, thank You've you. been amazing. Really That's appreciate you coming on. No, painless. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.